welcome to The PowerCast, a women's leadership podcast that focuses on female leadership, personal success, and career advancement. We're going to dive deep into this conversation about women's leadership during COVID-19 and beyond. I am your host, Dr. Tina Pierce, a servant leader who empowers individuals to create positive transformative change in their communities as a program manager in the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. Our guest joining us today, Stacey Raskowskis Brotherton, who is the Vice President of Government Affairs at The Ohio State University. In this role, she represents the university in advocacy before federal, state, local governments, regulatory agencies, and key policymakers. Stacy works closely with faculty, students, and administrators to develop and advance Ohio State's broad government affairs agenda. Under her leadership, the university increased engagement on emerging federal issues, developed university positions on federal legislation and regulation, and implemented strategies to advance the university's agenda. An active member of several national higher education government relations groups, Stacy has chaired the Council on Government Affairs for the Association for Public Land Grant Universities and the Steering Committee for the Council on Federal Relations for the Association of American Universities. Our additional guest is Dr. Wendy Smooth. She is a noted scholar of intersectionality and American politics. She is one of the foremost voices writing on the experiences of women of color as lawmakers and political institutions and women of color issues in public policy. Smooth's research and writing also reflect significant experience in legislative studies, institutions, state and local politics, and public policy. Her current research focuses on girls of color and their interests in political leadership. Her writings appear in numerous journals, including Politics and Gender, Journal of Women Politics and Policy, and the National Political Science Review. In 2018, Dr. Smooth was appointed as the first Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at The Ohio State University for the College of Arts and Science. Welcome to Wendy and Stacy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, it's a pleasure. So we're gonna jump into our first question. Research suggests that men and women sometimes exhibit different leadership traits based on their gender. Would you agree with this? And do you find that your gender influences your leadership style? And if so, how? So I'll start. Um, so certainly there is um, a great deal of literature that points to gender differences in women's leadership styles um, and also the ways in which uh, women have access to particular, uh, to particular leadership uh, positions. Um, I actually point out in my own work, and I think it's um, borne out in my life experiences, is that it's not so much a factor of my gender being the defining factor in terms of um, my leadership style, but it's about the experiences that my gender has generated. And I think that's similar for other um, leaders across sectors. 
um, women in politics will frequently talk about their experiences as mothers or their experiences um, of discrimination in the workforce or their experience based on gender um, and also gender and race uh, oftentimes. And it's a factor of those experiences and the ways in which you walk through the world that define how you respond um, to world events, to crises, to problem solving. And I think that's been very true um, in my own experiences. Um, I've become, as I became a mother, I became much more sensitive uh, to work-life balance issues, um, informing the ways in which I led my graduate students and also now the way that I lead um, my staff in the college. Um, just informs your outlook. Thank you I, so much for that, Wendy. Stacy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And um, I'm glad that um, the professor could go um, before me because I think it validates, uh, the research validates uh, what I've seen in practice. Um, you know, even personally, my career has been in politics and in higher education. And um, I, I became a parent um, sort of halfway in between. Uh, and I remember distinctly thinking some issues were of such great importance and spending a lot of time after hours um, uh, trying to address them and really getting very, I'd say, stressed about it. And, and now I look back as a, as a parent, it teaches, it, it teaches you what's really, what is really um, a top priority and, uh, and, and how, do you, how do you use time management um, to, to address? And, and then as well as the, the items that, that Wendy talked about in terms of um, empathy and sensitivity and, and understanding that there are just different um, uh, work styles out there, just like there are different uh, and, and being a parent of now too, uh, that there's that there's uh, that, you know a lot of differences in how even in the same environment and with a lot of the same genetics, do people respond to situations differently? So um, I think that that though I will say in both higher education and politics, and particularly at the federal level and uh, politics, that. I had um, from very early on, um, my first boss um, that was a chief of staff was a female. There were females around me that were my mentors um, uh, that, that in both higher education and politics. So it's a, um, at the federal level. So it's a little bit different, you know, um, you don't always hear that, but for me, um, it wasn't, I never felt like my next step couldn't be achieved because of, because of my gender. You know, I'll add in, if I could just add in as well, yes. um, as Stacy's talking, it's making me also think about the need to point out that women are not all the same. We can't treat women um, or any group as a kind of monolithic group. We really do have to think about individuals' uh, leadership styles and um, individuals' pathways into leaderships and into leadership and the decisions um, that they make. Because if we, you know, use a flat brush, then we expect all, we get into these habits of expecting that all women will do the following. They will be caring, they will be nurturing. Um, and we simply know that's not the case. There, we have, thankfully now in politics especially, and in business, we have a broad array of different types of women leaders. And I think that makes us a really, um, we're in a productive space when we can point to various leadership styles and not have 
a singular expectation that because someone is a woman, they're going to act a certain way. They're going to be a certain way. And Wendy, I appreciate that because that also points to these barriers that women need to overcome to be successful, whether you're in higher education, the workforce, in the classroom even. Um, so understanding that we're not a monolithic group and that we do have different leadership styles and different um, experiences that will inform how we navigate and enter into spaces. And so as we think about some of those additional barriers, can you identify what those barriers are for um, the advancement that women are able to achieve, again, um, as we're seeing it kind of during COVID and maybe even after COVID, have those barriers changed? Maybe I'll start, and my, my initial thoughts or my response to this is, yeah, there, there are barriers, and they, um, I, I think we've talked about it a little bit as, as in terms of childbearing and, and child rearing. Um, I, you know, I um, uh, had my first child at 36, which was um, uh, later, at least I was mid, midway through, uh, into, well into my career, I'll just say it that way. I hope I wasn't midway through, but well into my career. And I was very, I was in a position where I was, I knew um, my standing. I had a lot of confidence in my, my, and my, my bosses had confidence in me. And frankly, I think they were worried that I would want to take that opportunity to leave. And so there was a, a, a really intentional, I remember, recruitment or retention, excuse me, um, uh, as I was, I was, I was entering into that. And, um, I joked that I wasn't really sure I knew how to be a mother, but I certainly knew how to be a lobbyist so that they didn't have to worry about me leaving, but nevertheless, it was hard and it was an adjustment in my, in my work. And I think, so I think, I think that's, that's certainly one. Um, and I appreciate the support that I got then. And now as a manager, uh, who has, who have people, uh, you know, uh, my employees that are becoming parents, both men and women, um, I, I really have a different philosophy uh, than I than I may have had, and or at least I certainly am very attuned to both that retention, that need to give them the confidence to to um, uh, um, you know uh, to to have their their children or adopt their children and, and bond with them early on, and that that continues. It doesn't stop when the FMLA runs out, of course, right? So. Um, anyhow, I, I think that's that, that's a barrier that um, is is to to success, and it, and it doesn't stop just after you have the baby, as we all know. Um, you have to to contest and, and COVID coming into the the conversation about COVID, I, I, it shone a, a really big light on on how do you balance and continue to work and to con and educate when when so much of the educational system was moved to to parents had to play a much bigger role. And that, that's a challenge, um, but but for women and, and Wendy, I'm sure you have the statistics of the impact on women dramatically more, but both women and men. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we also, you know, one of the this last point that Stacy brings up in terms of the pandemic, you know, are the issues that are lingering around childcare. Um, we really saw. Um, the importance and the challenges that families uh, face uh, daily in regards to childcare that were um, became extenuating circumstances um, in light of COVID. While many of us were working from home, we were also working from home and homeschooling. There was a shortage of, of available childcare um, for people who had returned to work even in the capacity of their own homes. 
um, we continue to see the ill effects of a childcare system that uh, is not sufficient for most American families. Um, because we are, you know, as we look at labor shortages, a lot of the labor shortages that we're seeing currently are the results of inadequate childcare um, in our communities. It's even when we're thinking about kids who um, at this point that we're speaking are still not able um, to access the vaccine um, to protect them from COVID, it means that childcare centers have often closed abruptly when there has been um, a COVID um, a positive test. It means that kids are home quarantining um, when they have been exposed to the COVID, um, uh, COVID virus. And that's had a really extraordinary, extraordinary impact on uh, families. And we can say, oh, well, that's impacting families, but we still know in US society, women still disproportionately are responsible for care work in the home. Um, no matter how we've divided out those timelines and done the studies to crunch the data, um, yes, we see that men are more involved in, in contemporary families, but we still overwhelmingly see that these burdens fall to women um, to negotiate. The other thing I'll say about the pandemic that we seem to be drifting away from, and I hope we return um, to some of these questions. When we look at those in the labor market who were most impacted by um, the coronavirus, and we look at frontline workers, whether we're looking at healthcare workers um, in nursing, nursing, uh, nursing home care providers, child care providers, grocery store clerks, that wonderful Instacart shopper who delivered our groceries for us. Um, and all forms of people who were working in the gig economy to make our lives comfortable during the pandemic. Those were disproportionately women workers because we know that women occupy the majority of those occupations. And we still have some challenges in terms of thinking about the ways in which those employees experience the pandemic and continue to experience um, the pandemic. It really speaks to our policy needs around um, sick leave and around a host of other um, issues that support uh, workers adequately. Last question. So in, in addition to these trends that we're seeing around universities responding differently as a result of COVID-19 to ensure that students have access to online learning, that um, workers can have these meetings via Zoom and have the remote work options. What other lessons have emerged so far in terms of women's voices and leadership during this current crisis? And what new questions should we be asking in a COVID-19 context? Well, one of the things that I would, um, I would point out is that uh, we have some really great examples um, throughout the pandemic, and especially when we think about our policymakers. And I've given a lot of thought um, to the ways in which a representative like Representative Ayanna Presley, who's an African-American woman representative um, out of uh, Connecticut, forced us to ask some different questions about who was being impacted by the pandemic. And she was one of the lawmakers to call for disaggregating the numbers um, of COVID cases that we were seeing 
by race and ethnicity. That allowed us to see and drill down into which communities were being most impacted, how we could trace the impact um, of the virus in various communities. And that's a real lesson. One of the one of the things that she cites as to why she was calling for the disaggregation of that data is that she was seeing the effects of the virus in her own community and in her own family very differently than what she was hearing in terms of how we were talking about the pandemic early on and who was impacted by the pandemic. For me, that teaches us that it matters to not only have women's voices in uh, decision-making roles and as leaders, but it really matters to have diverse groups of women um, rep in representative roles in policymaking, um, in boardrooms, uh, in all forms of, of leadership positions. Because again, I return to what we talked about earlier. Based on one's experience, you see the world differently. You're impacted by the world differently. So we really do need a diverse group of women present at the table and in our decision-making space. Um, I'll echo uh, Wendy's um, uh, last sentence and that that's absolutely true. Um, I spent a lot of time working with the state of Ohio um, as the, the head of government affairs for this university and making sure that the decisions that we made are in alignment and um, our, our, uh, that the state was aware of our approach and, and really trying to be partners at all levels. So, um, you know, Governor DeWine, when he took office, um, made it a priority to have a diverse cabinet. Um, uh, right now, I, over half of his, uh, his 26 member cabinet is female. Um, everyone, uh, I shouldn't say everyone, but most everyone in Ohio, uh, you know, benefited from Dr. Amy Acton, who was the then head of the Ohio Department of Health, who, who with the governor for um, months, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks on end, um, gave daily um, uh, press conferences to keep us informed about, about the um, pandemic. And I think that um, that, that was such a, a, an influential um she was such an influential voice in, um, and a different voice um, in how we, um, as as Ohioans, uh, uh, were able to um, have the the tools that we needed to to, to make decisions about how we were going to um, navigate through through this crisis. But I would say, you know, I have have looked at the the again, we work closely with the the administration, no matter who's in charge. But the fact that it's not just one leader; she was the face of that pandemic, but um, multiple leaders across the cabinet agencies and in his um, and his team have been um, are female, and that's a um, uh, again, it's a um, contributes, I think, to the um, ability for us to to have conversations about issues that um, that are really run the political spectrum. So, you know, she got national attention. People were very excited about. Um, and comforted in some ways. And we can, there's a host of researchers out there who are doing work around her communication style during the pandemic um, and the ways in which citizens responded mm -hmm. uh, to her actual delivery and explanations mm -hmm. um, as a particular uh, type of leadership. So I'm glad you, you raised that because Ohio was really put on the national map for our communication um, strategies with, with the citizens of the state. 
Um, I might just circle back to the, the theme that we talked about at the beginning. Yes, I think it had to do with Dr. Acton's um, gender, but it also was her, her experiences as a researcher, um, you know, as a, um, as a, as a student uh, who, who, who really had, a, she has a very interesting life story uh, that contributed. So um, uh, from her time, again, as a, a practitioner, a medical practitioner, but also as a faculty member at our Ohio State University College of Public Health and others, you know, she knew how to really uh, knows how to very, you know, inter work with scientists, but also, you know, prac um, uh, with, um, with citizens and, and our community members on the ground, the real impact of um, of the work of a place like the Department of Health and the state. So, so all of those experiences, I think, contributed to um, to her leadership style. Gender, of course, being one of them. At least that's Wendy can do the research to confirm my 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 thesis there. But <laughs> you're, you're spot on. You're spot on. I'd only add in her socioeconomic uh, background as well, um, which she's very forthcoming around, which just adds these wonderful intersectional layers to how we evaluate uh, leadership. Absolutely. This, this conversation is so awesome that we actually have a question from the audience. So we want to give the audience a chance to, to ask their question. My first question is um, for women who are trying to get their foot in the door or starting to either get into politics or advocate for an issue in their community, um, what is a piece of advice you would give to them? Um, and slash or, uh, can you tell us if somebody opened the door for you and if you had a mentor early in your career that helped you um, kind of navigate your passion and find your way in? Well, I always, um, I love the, the programs um, of power at the Glenn School. Um, I've often had opportunities to work with uh, new leadership, which are our undergraduate uh, offerings for uh, women to get involved in, in thinking civic-mindedly and how they act on that. So I always tell the groups of young women that I talk to and women in my classes, um, some of them are cross-listed with the Glen. So take classes if you're listening. Um, plug, shameless plug. Um, but I tell them to pick an issue. Pick something that matters to you. Pick something that um, is of high impact in your life and learn about it. And once you've learned more about it, it gives you the pathways to become active around those issues. Um, but if you pick an issue, you're like you're you know very likely to stir up those anger muscles, which I think are really great to have. Whether you're in politics or you're in philanthropy or you're in the boardroom, and anger is not a bad emotion; um, it's a motivator. So get angry about something and start working and learning more about it. Um, and oh gosh, of course I've had mentors that opened the door for me and it's incredibly important for me that I open the door for others um, as a part of a, a tradition, um, especially of women of color in the academy. Um, I had a fabulous uh, academic mentor um, who she wasn't nurturing, she wasn't soft, she was hard as nails um, and you had to figure it out, but I knew that she was invested um, in my success and understood that my success 
was also important for the way that she advanced in the invalidation of the work that she and many others have been doing um, as women of color in both policy and in, um, in the academic setting because she crossed both, um, both areas. So as one, just one of many mentors that I, um, that I can count, but mentoring has been critical. So Wendy, um, uh, your first, uh, your mentor sounds like mine um, in different fields, but in politics, uh, she wasn't warm and she wasn't, um, uh, she was tough and she was very tough. I felt on, on me and, um, but I know like um, many good tough teachers and educators that um, after the fact, and even during the fact, I knew that it was making me a better um, a better team member um, uh, for the organization that I worked for and a better employee for sure. Um, and I and I uh, appreciate that to to this day um, and continue. And and I guess what's really neat is that she has now run for office. And so I've been able to support her um, in, in ways uh, for that and, and not in Ohio. And so it's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun um, to see, um, to see the, um, how she educated a group of us about how to, how to be policymakers and how to, um, and how to work in, as a team and as individuals. Um, and then see her, um, again, transitioning to the second question, what advice do you give to somebody um, uh, who's interested in, in running for office. I think I concur with Wendy's, you know, pick an issue. But um, I'd say also uh, recognize, I think, and talk to people who have done it before. Um, because it's, there are, are, are real benefits to it, but, but I think you have to go through that process. And when people come to me to say, I'm thinking of running for an, a position, what would you say? I, I I give them the unvarnished advice of, you know, this is going to be something that isn't just you, it's your whole family. Um, and um, for, for many of the positions, but even, even if they're small, I should say small, but even if they seem like they're um, not going to be a member of Congress, but a school board, um, those, those take time and, and, and really do um, involve uh, all of your, 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 your family. And so I think that's, um, uh, that's my, my piece of advice, but it's also don't let that be the barrier um, because as we've talked about, you know, the, the family and the life experiences that you bring to it are, are part of, of what makes what we need in, in public service these days. So, As a mentor myself, one thing that um, during COVID I've really paid more attention to and been intentional about is self-care. And so um, that is one of the things that I think as we think about the role of mentors, you know, we've, we've all had those tough ones and some of us have had mentors that are a little bit softer and they'll coddle you. Um, but it has been the mentors that have said, Tina, make time for Tina. Tina, who are you outside of just being the scholar? Tina, who are you outside of being the mom? Tina, what? how can you elevate your voice and platform to help those around you, but at the same time in such a way that it protects you, that you're not giving so much of yourself that it's impacting your wellness, both mental or physical. And I'm often reminded of, of a quote that says, you should serve from your saucer. You should not serve from your cup. So in that regard, I think with COVID-19, 
I want to remind all of our women out there to make sure to take care of yourself, to make sure that you're doing the things that make you happy, that feed into your spirit, because we can't take care of our families. We can't take care of our communities if we have nothing to give, if we don't have anything that's filling us up. So definitely serve from your saucer and come, come, come to all of the great programs that we offer here at the Glenn College.